Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast, Chris Graham. And I'm joined by Scott German. Haven't had Scott on for a while. He's been uh, a traveling man, uh, either at the beach or uh, traveling with uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Um, the Orioles did their job for us, Scott. They they got us from uh, baseball season to the start of basketball practice without having to expend too much mental energy on the failings of the UVA football team. So thanks to the O's. I wish they could have stayed a little longer, obviously. Uh, you're right. I wish they could have too. And it's funny. I sent a I sent a congratulatory email to um, the GM Michael Elias, and I actually got an email back today as if, as if he doesn't doesn't have enough going on with uh, 16 arbitration eligible players. Uh-huh. He took the time to send me uh, a brief, but nonetheless, email back and thanking me for following the team and promised uh, better things were ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. Uh, they all all those arbitration decisions, notwithstanding, uh, uh, good young core. Uh, they got some decisions to make. They got some guys who are in Norfolk ready to come up and start hitting the cover off the ball. So, should be a good few years coming up in Baltimore, no doubt. Um, You're right. They did get us through some pain and misery. Well, and they were at least a year ahead of time uh, from. Uh, <laughs> what we'd expected. I mean, going into this season, that's, this is the funny thing about predictions. Sometimes they're right. Uh, the, the Vegas people picked uh, and they, Vegas was overestimating Virginia. It looked like they, the over under for Virginia wins this season in football was three and a half uh, at one. Now that if, if you bet it over and you have uh, uh, games with three top 25s and, and three other games, you're uh, going to be a big underdog and you have to win three of those six. Uh, the old, if you bet over, when the season started, it ain't looking good for you right now. But as far yeah. as the O's were concerned, uh, the baseball prospectus uh, had uh, the O's at 76 wins going into the season. They won 101, so they they slightly overperformed uh, expectations there. Yeah, they did. They um, they they overperformed, and uh, the Yankees and Red Sox definitely underperformed. So the combination meant uh, they had a good chance of winning the East, and they did so. There you go. Well, uh, now we need to now we now we now we're back to a slap in the face and we're back to reality, right? Back to reality. Well, we'll we'll, we'll delay it a little bit by talking ACC football first. Every week uh, for our website, Scott does an ACC football power rankings, and um, uh, thought we talk about that to start with. Uh, pretty obvious who the top two teams are, uh, and and maybe even pretty obviously the top three teams are. They one was expected when the season started. FSU was picked to be in the mix for the for the top spots. Um, UNC and Duke, though, were not expected to be. Well, UNC was probably expect they were picked third preseason uh, by the writers, so they were expected to be just on the outside looking in. But Duke, no one had Duke anywhere near the top. Um, those three, Scott, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, you know, from looking at your power rankings, those three are the ones that. Uh, have really kind of separated themselves from the rest of the league at this stage. Yeah, they have. And I'm looking at those rankings right now. You know, the top three or four has been pretty easy. I kind of went back last night and looked at my composite, and there's some teams that have been all over the board. An example, Tech, in one of my rankings, was as low as 14th, Uh which is as low as you can go. And now I have them seventh. Um, the opposite Miami was as high as two. And now, because I still can't get over that fiasco against Georgia tech, I have them 11th. Now I know 11th might be, uh, a little below where they probably should be, but I'm penalizing them for that absolute 
nonsensical uh, meltdown against against Georgia Tech. I I will never forget that. Yeah, all you got to do is down the ball. You win the game. Instead, you fumble two passes, one of them a Hail Mary, and you lose to a team that had been beaten by Bowling Green by double digits at home the week before. Yeah, that's that's not good. Um, uh, Clemson plays Miami this weekend. I know Miami's 0-2 in the ACC, so my, I'm, when I say what I'm about to say, it might sound a little ridiculous, but this is sort of an elimination game in the sense of, okay, those two, the, both those teams have two losses in conference play. So when I say elimination game, you know, FSU and UNC are both unbeaten. Duke's unbeaten. Duke has a win over Clemson. Uh, but when you look down the road, if if whoever loses this game between Clemson and Miami this weekend has three losses in ACC play, um, they will not have a chance to sneak into the second spot. I mean, assuming that, you know, if if UNC or Duke uh, has struggles down the stretch, there's plenty of ACC football still to be played. Clemson-Miami this weekend is, is definitely an elimination game. Um, you have FSU and Duke, the two unbeatens are playing this weekend. Two of the three unbeatens, I should say, are playing this weekend. And so one of those teams will have a loss. Uh, Florida State, a double-digit favorite in that one. Um, and so we've got some interesting matchups coming up this weekend. Uh, in addition to the uh, the EVA UNC game that starts at six thirty, uh, isn't that game one the CW this week? Uh, yes, uh, yeah. So we yeah. get a- another CW game. A lot of I'm remembering Scott that the one CW game we've played so far, the BC game. Uh, there, there's a reason we don't watch the CW. All the all the commercial spots in between the, the game action uh, for the TV shows on the CW. There's something called F Boy Island. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe there's a reason that we don't watch that. But anyway, there's some good games this weekend. And then there's UVA UNC. But a couple games that we can, maybe UVA fans can watch uh, uh, on, a, on a second TV on your phone while we're watching our Cavs get plastered by UNC. Yeah, uh, you better have a backup plan. <laughs> watch the UVA UNC game. You better, you better have a backup plan of either watching another game or maybe learning how to crochet. Or um, something, you know, uh, because if you're thinking that the UVA North Carolina game is going to be a three hours of entertainment, you might be you might be very wrong. I'd be careful, though, Scott, if I were you with a crocheting needle watching UVA UNC, because that that needle might end up yeah, like, in my eyeball. I was going to think in your eyeball. Probably I, I didn't I, say what you were crocheting. You could well, be crocheting your eyes together. I think I think uh, I think for at least you, Scott. I think Stephanie needs to keep away all sharp objects um, if you're going to have that game on the TV, which you probably will, uh, because uh, yeah, that's not going to be good. But uh, um, what do you think as far as okay? So the, the the big game of the weekend, Florida State and Duke. I'll say this about Duke. Okay, second year with their coach Mike Elko, who was their second choice for the job. Uh, their first choice was Tony Elliott. We're, we know where Tony Elliott ended up. Uh, he goes nine and four last year. He's five and one this year with a three touchdown win over Clemson. The loss was a last minute loss at home to Notre Dame, a team that the following week uh, then went out and and blew out uh, USC. So I mean, uh, this is a pretty good Duke team. They've been battle tested. Uh, FSU has been a little battle tested. They won at Clemson. They they beat LSU in the first week. FSU and Duke. This is the heavyweight matchup of the season, maybe in the ACC. Hard to think that, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. Hard to think that. Um, you know, uh, well, I'll answer that or go to that question. But first of all, if you look at my 
power rankings. The top, the top three teams that I have right now in the ACC, one Florida State, two North Carolina, three Duke, will key on two North Carolina, three Duke. If you're a UVA fan, that should either give you awful, just awful, awful despair. But if you're an optimistic UVA fan, that should give you a lot of hope that two basketball schools have positioned themselves to be this good in football, which to me shows you the right coach can get Virginia to the to where they want to be in this conference, the right coach. And I say that for Carolina. People were knocking on Mike Brown. He's too old. Probably is. But if you look at Mike Brown, he has surrounded himself with some good assistants that want to be in that program. Gene Chisley, who got blasted last year uh, for their defense, two years into this, you know, not even two years there at Carolina. Carolina's defense is now significantly improved. And then, and then we have Duke, who you just mentioned, Mike Elko. Um, you know, I've watched a lot of these games, some live, some in YouTube, some in some shape to try to get a little better understanding of the power rankings. Um, Chris, I don't think it's far off to say Mike Elko could be the, could be the best coach in the ACC right now. Oh, he, uh, he took over a program that was that it, it basically, I don't, I guess David Cutcliffe wasn't officially fired, but they just didn't renew his contract. But they were and Cutcliffe was a legend at Duke. He was a great coach at Duke, but his last couple of years there, they were really subpar. They were three and nine overall in 2021, 0 and 8 in the ACC. I mean, he took he turned he turned that into nine and four last year, five and one this year. It's not like Duke is is you know, Duke football anyway, is out there getting you can't get one and duns in football. That that's just not working. It's not like for in basketball. And also, Duke isn't working the transfer portal and JUCO. Uh, route, uh, you know, any more than anybody else does. That's it's Duke. I mean, you know, you got to get the kids in, and so very similar to UVA. Uh, and so, yeah, gosh, I mean, the fact that he's he's 14 and five, uh, since he took the job over, and again, a 28 7 win over Clemson in the opener, uh, the only loss this year that narrow they had, they had Notre Dame beat in the final minute and just couldn't close it out. Um, what a job that guy's done, man. I tell you what, he's done a great job. Um, uh, Saturday against uh, NC State, um, their first-string quarterback, Riley Leonard, didn't play. The backup did an okay job. He did what he was supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, and they handled business. They just uh, beat the daylights out of NC State, who was just offensively uh, just lost. They lost uh, Duke beat NC State 24-3. But it should give UVA fans a lot of hope because those are two schools that – you don't think of as being strong football schools. I know Carolina's had some good years. Duke has had occasional good year, but but they are right there. And this Duke-Florida State game, um, I think it's going to be a lot closer than what people think because I really believe Duke is is just such so well coached. They're not going to beat themselves. And I'm going to go on a record and say this is probably favors Duke if this game was played in, in Tallahassee more so than Duke. Yeah, because now I know Duke this year has been getting more fans that are home games. The opener with Clemson, there were as many Clemson fans as there were Duke fans, but I was surprised there were a good number when, when Duke hosted Notre Dame. There weren't as many Notre Dame fans in the house as I thought there'd be. Uh, but, yeah, the fact that they're going to be playing away from home, 
Um, this is a Duke team that has a great defense, and it's gonna it's definitely not gonna be the double digit uh, uh game that that uh, Vegas is saying. This is gonna be a, a, a barn burner of a ball game. Uh and um, you know, getting back, Scott, to what you had to say about Duke and Carolina and how that can give hope to UVA fans. Du- another thing about Duke and Carolina, both are academic schools that you know they they play by similar academic rules as UVA does. Um, two different approach, two different pr- approaches or paths that we've seen those two uh, programs have success. There was a more of a long term build with Mac Brown. He's been there for this is like his fourth or fifth year. Um, it was sort of slow rebuild with with great recruiting every year, including a lot of kids from Virginia. Let's just say it. He's getting a lot of kids. Uh, the top kids from the state of Virginia, from the high school ranks, uh, to go down to North Carolina, go to Chapel Hill. At Duke, I mean, all all Mike Elko's done is turn it around real fast, just by taking what he was given, which wasn't much, and putting him in the right places. Um, the exact kind of opposite uh, in both respects from what Virginia's seen from Tony Elliott. The, the recruiting has not been good. Uh, you know, you mentioned Scott, the great assistant coaches that UNC Virginia does. Tony Elliott does not have a a really you know deep a top-notch staff unfortunately uh he doesn't and, have a gene chislick he doesn't have a gene chislick no a guy who you know, was a winning coach as a as a, a head coach himself uh and then has had great success as a, a coordinator at various stops and then um uh you know and, and then all you know he was unlike um mike elko who was handed nothing and has turned it into a, a couple of good teams uh tony elliott was handed a decent program that had gone 500 each of the past two seasons before he took the job. But two years before that had uh, gone to the orange bowl uh, and he, and Elliot decided to completely dismantle everything he'd been handed uh, start over. And he's not been able to, to populate the roster with his guys yet to any degree that makes us see what he wants to do. So uh, he's kind of done the opposite in both respects compared to Mac Brown and Mike Elko. Yeah, and, and I had a conversation with a Duke alumna uh, this past weekend who had two daughters attend Duke and play play sports high level lacrosse. Duke is a high level lacrosse program; they take it very serious. And she commented that that that, that Duke is getting it. Um, the athletic department, the administration, they're getting the the importance of football, and sort of surprised a lot of people that. They let you know basically did not try to retain Cutcliffe, who who was like I said one of maybe a Hall of Fame Duke coach. Uh, they felt like they could do better, and they didn't just keep him on to be keeping him on to get to basketball season. Um, they wanted to improve their football program, and and they took it serious, and they hired went out and did the research, hired who is turning out to be a great coach question now is can they keep him yeah Um, that's the question yeah so yeah i think the fact that we got carolina carolina two duke three in my power rankings uh then you've got clemson louisville's you know more teams that are expected georgia tech is making some some making some inroads into improving in the acc so there's hope for uva fans i i think if we we get the program to get the program to where it needs to be, though, there, there, there's probably going to have to be a coaching change and a lot of different uh, um, moving pieces are going to have to change in order to get this going the way we want it. Well, just looking at your power rankings, uh, three of the top seven teams 
in your power rankings, Duke at three, Georgia Tech at six, Virginia Tech at seven, I'll have coaches who have been on the job uh, less than two years uh, because at Georgia Tech, Brent Pry took over as the interim coach last year um, and actually had success down the stretch. He, he took over when the, the program started one and three in September, and he went four and four to finish out. One of those losses, curiously, to Virginia, so it could have even been better for Georgia Tech last year. And he's three and three this year uh, with that win over a Miami program that also has a, a second year coach. And, and Miami's been in the top 25 most of the season, just dropped out after their loss to, to UNC. Uh, and so that's another program that has a coach uh, that's Mario, Mario Cristobal, who's been there less than two years at Virginia Tech. You know, they Virginia Tech started out one and three this year, looked bad in starting out one and three, but they've gone two and one in the last three weeks. Brent Pry, second year coach, um, has that program maybe in the right direction? I mean, I'm looking at this Virginia Tech team and saying, you know, looking at their schedule down the stretch, um, this is a team that's probably going to win six games at least. Um, I mean, that's only going three and two in their last five. And uh, six wins gets you to a bowl. It kind of reminds us what Bronco Mendenhall did in his year two. You know, you 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 take it. You take a program that got its coach fired uh, year one. You kind of get things moving. You get pieces in the right places. Um, you recruit a little bit. Year two, you get to six wins. You get to a bowl. Uh, you know, thinking of the Bronco model. Then year three, Virginia won eight games, beat South Carolina in a bowl. Year four, they're in the Orange Bowl. Um, Tech. I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to predict Orange Bowl for them in year four, but they are making the steps you need to make. Georgia Tech is doing the same thing. I think Georgia Tech's a team that. And we'll see both these teams down the stretch in, in uh, uh, in fact, both in Charlottesville for, for UVA coming up uh, later this season. Um, I think you see in both both situations there, those programs are, are doing what they need to do to to move things forward. So um, there's those are also uh, examples of hope. Um, and I agree with you, Scott, probably pending. Um, I mean, depending on how things go down the stretch here for Virginia, which we can talk about in a minute, uh, probably pending a coaching change in Charlottesville. Yeah, I agree. So um, moving down, another key game in the ACC, I believe, this week, Chris, is that Clemson game. Clemson uh, hosting Miami. I believe they're hosting Miami. Um, you know, I that, think that, no, I think that game's in Coral Gable. Oh, is it? In, okay. Yeah, um, let me check that, make sure. Probably be as many Clemson fans there as there will be Miami fans. It's at Miami. Yeah, you're right. As, as far as Miami home game attendance, yeah, there won't be many Miami fans um, in in general, it's a it's a they play in a beautiful stadium. We've been there for the Orange Bowl, but yeah, not Miami doesn't really draw much. Uh, that you know, to, that's an important game. I believe. I don't think either team has a wiggle room into the ACC. Maybe second, because uh, that's the objective is to finish right. at least second. Right. Clemson maybe. Clemson's already halfway through their conference schedule, two and two. Right. Um. So, but that's a huge game. For Davo Sweeney. Yes. Because if if they lose to Miami, a reeling Miami team, yeah. and they fall to two and three, uh, I believe you're gonna start hearing some rumblings in Death Valley. It's been a while, yeah. You know, the last couple of years, uh, you know, they they put up for for anybody else, you know, nice records, decent records. Ten, I think they were ten and three and nine and four the last couple of years. I think that's right. Um, but that's not good at Clemson. And no, then, that's not what they're built. That program's built for. That's what I, yeah, it's not what the, all the alums spend all the money on there. And and if they lose this game and they're four and three overall, two and three in the ACC, the losses being to what Duke, there would be Miami this weekend. I'm trying to uh, Florida state in a game that they very well could have won that game. 
uh, a, a rebuilding but now resurging Florida State program under Mike Norville. Um, I, you know, yeah. And and then on the other side, though, I mean, if you're Miami and you're Mario Cristobal, you started out 4-0. and One of your wins was over Texas A&M, who, you know, Jimbo Fisher's, you know, struggling there, too. But he, he it's a, they have a good program. They played Alabama well. They've, they've had a couple of nice wins this year. Uh, Miami beat the heck out of uh, uh, Texas A&M in that game. So Miami outs with that great 4-0 start. I think they were mid-teens in the uh, in the national rankings. You blow the game to Georgia Tech. You get your doors blown off by North Carolina. They lose this one and go down to 4-3. and three. And I want to say Cristobal was – they either won six or seven games last year. I mean, you know, they gave him a lot of money to come in and rebuild things. And they're still, if, you know, they lose this game and they're four and three, they're 0 and three in the ACC. They're still pretty much where Miami football has been since they fired Larry Coker close to 20 years ago. You know, they had to run with Randy Shannon where they were basically a 500 program. Al Golden, they were a basically a 500 program. They had the one good, good year with Mark Richt. And even at the end of that good year, they got blown out in the last couple of games they played. Uh, the Manny Diaz era played out similarly. And and then you'd have this now. And, you know, what fr- has to frustrate Miami fans, Scott, we look at this kind of stuff all the time, the data part of things. You look at the recruiting rankings every year, and I do this every year, and I, and I even go back and, and look at, you know, there are times I'll go back and say, let's look at how Clemson did over the last 10 years in recruiting or how Miami did the last 10. Miami's always in the top 15, top 10 nationally in recruiting every year they're great they get great players to come through there they just don't win with them that's got to be so frustrating if you're a miami fan it's not like if you're at virginia and every year in the national recruiting rankings you're in the 50s or 60s and you lose games okay there's a reason you lose games is you know your coaches you know your coaches aren't getting great players but if you're in miami you're getting nfl talent you just ain't winning with them um so i think both sides in this game not just for positioning for possible, hey, we might sneak into the ACC championship game, but this is these are sort of program defining kind. Of, this is a program defining kind of game for these two for these two programs. I think. Yeah, I, I believe that um, either coach loses, which whichever coach loses this game, they're they're going to start feeling the heat. And I, again, I I go back to if you're a Miami fan, how can you ever forget that loss to George Tech? I mean, Chris, if you were to transplant any JV football coach into that situation and he had uh, 30 seconds to to look and see what the situation was, the lead, the amount of time, there's no coach in the country that's just not going to take a kneel down. Yeah, yeah. Simple simple as that. A JV football coach would know that. And Peewee level coaches, midget football coaches are going to say, kneel, come on, win the game. He was even asked about it afterwards because apparently a couple of times this year, um, now they they never had a game that was, they had not to that point had a game that was a one score game where they had the ball to try to run the clock out, but they had not even kneeled down at the end of any of their other wins this year when they had the ball in that situation. And so a reporter actually asked, "Do you have a kneel down play in your playbook?" I mean, that's 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 a horrible question to have to ask because you have to ask it. Do you have it in your playbook because you didn't use it? Um, that's basic football. That's football 101. Yeah, yeah. And that's 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 going to haunt him. Now, yes. if we're going to start winning again and win, winning big, then that's kind of forgotten. But when you when you potentially going to lose your third consecutive game, yeah. Uh then, you know, it, that's going to that's going to come back on him if uh 
things keep going sour. So I'm going to skip down and make a statement. Uh, the middle of the ACC power rankings, they kind of flip-flop. Um, uh, Tech is now Tech is now all the way to seven in my in my power rankings. They've played well. I wouldn't say the two teams they've beaten, Wake and Forest, uh, Wake Forest and, and um, Pitt, they're both sort of tailing off. Uh, so, but they're wins. They're, they're still wins. But going to the, I was just looking at this, The my last four in the ACC um, uh, begins with NC State, uh, Boston College, Pitt, despite Pitt being Louisville, still have them down pretty high, pretty low, and Virginia. Um, what do you think the chances that all four of those schools are going to be looking for head coaches at the end of the season? Well, okay, I'll throw in at Pitt first, Pat Narduzzi. I don't know that he gets fired for, but I think he's a he might be in line for that Michigan State job. So he might actually just get a promotion here. Right. Well, that's yeah, not fired. Okay. So, okay. But, but at least looking for coaches. I would, so, so just to clarify that, yeah, I think he's in the run. He would be a guy that I would look – I would also, if I'm Michigan State, look at Mike Elko and Duke. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking Mike Elko is going to be a guy who's going to be mentioned every time – um, a big job comes up this year, um, you know, and and if he strikes while the iron's hot, he won't be there. He won't be at Duke very long to give have a chance at uh, having the the shine come off there, uh, you know, in, in in the next year or two. But um, Boston College, uh, Halfley, I think. I mean, gosh, it's hard to say. You know, you know, if you're a if you are a longtime ACC observer, um, and certainly BC fans. Remember, I mean, BC's had success, not just the Doug Flutie era. Even when they came into the ACC, BC had a pretty good program when they first came in in the mid, in the mid uh, what, mid-2000s. Um, they were a pretty solid program. They, that's where, uh, what, um, Matt Ryan was the uh, quarterback. They were a top-five program. I remember a game where they played Virginia Tech on a Thursday night, and both teams were ranked in the top five. That was like 2006 or 2007. So it's not like BC uh, is is – should be sentenced to forever being bad in football. They, you know, they've had success there. They know how to win there. It's just been a while. Um, and so, you know, do you accept, you know, right now they're three and three, one and two in the ACC, the one wins over Virginia. I don't know. Um, NC state is, is, is maybe the most obvious one. Um, and I'll say because Virginia's coach, Tony Elliott, he's a year two coach. We'll talk more about him. I'm sure as we get uh, towards the end of the podcast, but at NC state, Dave Doran's been there a while, I think nine years now. And he brought in Robert and I, former Virginia, most recently former Syracuse um, uh, offensive coordinator to kind of redo things there offensively. It's not worked. Uh, you mentioned they lost 24 to three this past weekend to Duke Duke with their backup quarterback. Um, you know, this was a team that preseason I thought could sneak into the ACC championship game. They're four and three, one and two overall. They're one win over the one win Virginia team. Um, I think Dave Doran, uh, with, with, it, it, you know, even if they go, I mean, they're four and three now, they win a couple games, go to a <laughs> north of the Mason Dixon line bowl game. I still think that six, six or seven wins even probably, probably gets him pushed out the door. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and again, Pitt, you're right. They um they can lose a team they have a um you know a couple more wins, but he could easily go to Michigan State. Um he seems to fit there. I mean he does. He, 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 does. Has, a, he has ties there. You know, that job is a prestigious job. Mel Tucker was getting paid nine million dollars a year. He's now gone. 
they're going to look for a guy who can who can get things fixed. And Narduzzi just seems like the kind of guy. He's he's a Midwestern type guy. Um, you know, even though this year they're having an off season, they they just a couple of years ago they won the ACC. I think they won. Didn't they win the ACC two years ago with uh, Kenny Pickett? I mean, yes, they played. Uh, they played um, Wake in Wake. a championship game. Yeah. That yes. was a great, I mean, so they, they, you know, he's, he's got, he's the reputation as a defensive coach who also has, has had good offenses at Pitt, man, he, he, he uh, Michigan State could do a lot worse than, than Pat Narduzzi. So yeah, I think it's possible that all four of those schools could see. And also we'll let's throw in uh, Dino Babers at Syracuse. They started out four and zero against a very weak schedule. They're now four and three. Um, Dino Babers has only had, I think the one winning season there and maybe one other season was six wins where they had a 500 season. Um, and, uh, the last couple of years, they've, they feasted on their bad, uh, early, early week schedules and, and have struggled as the season has gone on when the competition ratchets up. I think that Dino Babers could very well, I mean, I'd be surprised if he's not let go at the end of the season. Yeah. So this could be an off season where there's massive change in, in coaches in the ACC. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. It will be interesting. So we got, I mean, inevitably we've got to get to it. That's. Yeah. The bottom of my power rankings, Virginia, one and five. Uh, and Chris, I'd like to say one and five, but this second half of the season could Virginia could really turn things around. I just, I just, <laughs> think that it, that's not going to happen. In fact, I think the second half of the season could get ugly real quick, starting Saturday night in Keenan Stadium. Yeah, you know, if if the one and five was against the schedule that they have coming up, coming up, and then they had the schedule that they just played as the second half of the season, I'd say, man, there might be three sure. or four wins in there because sure. you know the way things went in the first half of this uh, of the season for Virginia, yeah, one and five, the only win is against Women Mary and FCS school, uh, but there were three losses that were, I mean, one was one point loss to to JMU at home in week two. Um, a three-point loss to NC State in week four, and a, a three-point loss to BC on the road in week five. And even the 42-14 loss to Maryland, um, that score is deceptive. That was a 21-14 game in the fourth quarter. Virginia had the ball, had a, had a pass intercepted in the end zone that would could have tied the game up in the fourth quarter. Things imploded from there, but 42-14 was not the story of that game. So even taking that away um, – one play in each of those, the losses to JMU, NC State, and Boston College, one play goes the other way, and they could have won all three of those games. So, I mean, you know, this this is a team that's one and five, but could easily have been two and four, three and three, four and two. I mean, that would take a lot, but this is they could easily be two and four, three and three. Um, but that said, they're not. They 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 found ways to lose those games that they probably you know could have won, should have won, and now you play of your last six, three teams currently in the top 25. Um, another team that was just in the top 25 in Miami, uh, Georgia Tech, who beat that top former top 25 team, Miami. And then Virginia Tech, who's right now, uh, you know, two and one of their last three looking pretty good. So, you know, when I looked at ESPN's FPI, Scott, the football power index, um, just to get a glimpse of, you know, some thoughts on how the, the rest of the season could play out for Virginia. Um Virginia, the, the the best win probability for Virginia in any of these six games, the two techs in, in the range of 33%. They're, they're going to be an overwhelming underdog in each of their last six games. Um, they could play good football and still go 0-6 and, and finish 1-11. That's the story of this Virginia team right now. You know, and, and if that 
if that were to hold one and eleven uh with just a atrociously bad uh recruiting class, how do you retain the head coach? I think the case could certainly be made that I mean, and, and you know, a lot of folks are have been saying, I don't know if as many of them are saying it now as they were a few weeks ago when I first proposed this idea. Um, but let's let's think of this from the perspective of the folks at the Darden School. Um, let's let's put let's put this to a business case here. Um, you know, your CEO uh, was hired, uh, you know, close to two years ago, December of 2021. Uh, he inherited a business that was running well. It could be running better. Um, the the previous CEO wasn't fired. He just he stepped away. Um, he resisted efforts to make some changes that uh, you know the. Uh, the chairman of the board <laughs> who decided that needed to be made. So uh, they hired a new CEO and uh, the new CEO came in and instead of building off of what the previous CEO did, this, the new CEO decided to totally clean house. Let's get rid of everyone. Let's, let's not, not, let's not retain any of the, the middle managers, the upper level management. Let's just start from scratch. Even the workers on the floor, we're gonna we're gonna winnow them out. We're gonna make sure that they're gone. We're gonna bring in everybody new, new coaches. And this you know, go back to the football parlance. New coaches. We're gonna find a whole new roster of players. Okay. Well, the the results are that your offensive coordinator that you hired, your one of your you know your top upper level management people, um, had been an offensive coordinator at two previous stops, neither of which lasted more than a season. Um, his results last year, he probably shouldn't have lasted more than a season at Virginia, but he's back for a year or two. Uh, in year two, the all the results are even worse than they were a year ago. Um, and so no improvement there. Um, you know, even your defensive coordinator you brought in, actually, the one hire that was good by Tony Elliott was the defensive coordinator, John Rosinski from Air Force, and they've taken a big step back this season. So, um, you have uh, you completely uh, you know gutted the roster, uh, and and your recruiting was ranked 13th in the ACC out of 14 schools uh, in your first season. It's ranked 13th currently in the 14-team ACC for this season's recruiting class. So you haven't uh, you, you've you've you know you got rid of the previous guys' players the best you could, um, and you haven't shown your the ability to replace them with with either comparable players replacement level players or better players. And so if you're thinking now, if you're, if you're running the the business and you're saying, okay, so usually you say, God, we got to give a head coach four or five or six years to, to prove uh, that he can, you know, what he can do. Um, at this stage, do you lose anything if you decide to make a change? The, the roster is, is not ACC quality. Well, I'll use Bronco Mendenhall terms from a couple, from what, 2017. This is not an ACC quality roster at this stage. You don't have, for the most part, ACC quality as, uh, head coaches. You don't have a recruiting pipeline that suggests that you'll be able to build from where you are now. If you were to bring in a new head coach and start from scratch, you've already, this guy's already, he's already at scratch. You're already at ground zero. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think this could be a rare case where you say two years into a new football coach, you can actually, it, it wouldn't be a knee-jerk decision to say, let's get rid of this guy and go with someone new because there's nothing that you would lose if you got rid of Tony Elliott. That he's, he's, there's no infrastructure in place that you would lose. And in fact, there's a lot saying that maybe you should consider a change now because 
UVA football is going to move in next spring to that new football operations center, that $80 million building that we've been promised for many years. Maybe this is the time to say, hey, let's give those keys to a new head coach and let him start completely from scratch with this building and and start start uh, building a new program. And we, we didn't touch on if you don't make a change, how much more of a very depleted fan base do you do you lose? I mean, the fan base is pretty depleted right now when you're only drawing 30-some thousand, but how many of those bail out when you're just sticking to, to the same thing that hasn't worked for a couple of years where if you do bring in someone new, and I'm not talking about another Tony Elliott or another someone that's got a plan. Uh, we, you had an article in your – on the Gus Free Press site about something unique. I'm not going to say as far as the option, but a coach that is established at some level, a head coach that's got a plan that can come to Virginia and implement it and and be successful. Maybe that gains some of your fan base back. Well, I mean, uh, you know, the fan base is 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 a is a work it's going to be a work for for years no matter who you bring in if, if virginia starts i mean we saw this in 2019 virginia won nine games that year went to the orange bowl beat virginia tech we still couldn't fill the stadium up to, for the game against virginia tech the, that game was for a birth in the orange bowl the winner of that game virginia virginia tech was going to go to the orange bowl um virginia couldn't uh, virginia couldn't get 60,000 people for that game so um and virginia hasn't had 60,000 people to a game since 2008 um, so the fan base is, and, and I think honestly, Scott, I think that the, the, the attendance we see at Scott stadium. Now we, we are at the point where these are the people who are going to come no matter what. Um, and so we are at the, we are at the, we're at the floor. We're at the nadir of, of UVA football. Um, can it get worse? I mean, if, if this team goes 0 and 6 down the stretch and finishes one and 11, yeah, it can get worse. They can go 0 and 12 next year, but I mean, can it get worse than where we are right now? It's probably this is probably as low as it can be. I mean, you know, yeah, the people that are coming are going to come regardless. They're going to they they, like they like like the party. They like the tailgate. They like UVA people. Yeah, they they want to see their friends. I mean, right, and and so it won't attendance wise. It's probably not going to be possible to get worse, but it certainly isn't going to get better. Right, um, but. And it may never be. I think I saw that, that down the road there's some plans on renovating Scott State. Well, you know that's gonna that's gonna uh, be like Kenyon Stadium when they took out twelve thousand seats, and that's okay because people. I mean, even the big schools are are not. I read a story that Alabama had almost six thousand empty seats. Now, stadium seats ninety thousand, but still. With the technology of being able to set at home, watch it on a great TV, look at the stats, we could follow the same stats we get in the press box from home. Um, um, it's just being at li- being at the live event is not as important as it was 10, 12 years ago. So I'm not worried about the attendance as much as I am, just the fan base, the, the alumni that are going to support the program with money. Right, right. That's the big Contributions deal. too. I yeah. mean – those people that make big contributions are successful business people, and it's going to be hard to convince them to keep pouring money into a program that they feel like is completely broken. Because, you know, Virginia football is not going to 
you know, I hope I don't offend anyone when I say this, including a lot of you know, football alums who are watching or anybody or any of the money people who write the checks, but Virginia football is not going to win a national championship in football. That's, that's okay. You know, we had, you know, a, a team that was ranked number one for three weeks back in 1990 when I was a first year student at UVA, it seems like yesterday. It also seems like a hundred years ago. Um, but uh, in this day and age, I, I just I don't see that possible, but I do see possible that a Virginia program can go kind of like the George Welsh floor back in those days. Seven wins, seven wins in an 11 game schedule. You can win seven or eight games a year at Virginia if you do the right things. Um, and so but, you know, I was going to ask you this question, Scott, because it just came to mind as we were talking about this. You know, the last time Virginia had a double digit loss season, well, there were there were there have been two um, in the last 15 years. Um, in 2012, no, excuse me, 2013, um, the Mike London team uh, went two and ten, lost nine straight to end that season. Um, and in 2016, Bronco Mendenhall's first team, after he got the job after London had been fired, went two and ten. Now, a couple differences there: Mendenhall's second team went to a bowl, his third team went to a bowl, his fourth team went to a bowl. His other two teams would have went to bowls if not for COVID. Um, Mike London followed up the two and ten season in 2013 with a five and seven season in 2014, four and eight in 2015. They were competitive teams. Those were actually pretty good teams. A lot of those losses were close losses. Um, but uh, those two those two teams also had losing seasons. But I'm thinking of two and ten in 2016. That was a frustrating season, Scott. But I think we could see that we knew that Bronco Mendenhall had a history of success, and I think there was. Even in that two and ten season, there was optimism that things were going to move in a better direction. The two and ten season with Mike London, you know, we were starting already to think then. And I remember writing columns saying maybe Virginia needs to make a change at coach. And they waited a couple of years too long to make the change, but they eventually did make the change. Um, so I, I didn't despair either of those two years that there wasn't something that was going to change and move things in a positive direction. Scott, I despair now that this team could finish one eleven or I think best case is two and 10 with the schedule we have coming up. I despair because as much as I just made the business case for making a change, I don't think Virginia is going to make a change this year. I don't even think Scott that another bad year next year forces a change. I just don't see Virginia doing that. Talk me out. I'm the one who talks you off of ledges all the time. Talk me off this ledge. I I just can't get over how I think the inertia at UV Athletics is going to win out here. Talk you off a ledge and trying to convince you that they will make a change if if the team finishes one and eleven or that ten or or that there's a hope that I mean because if they go one and eleven this year, don't make a change. If they go. Gosh, after the if they go three and nine or four and eight next year, you're still an also ran a irrelevant program. I think what if if no change is made in the next couple of years, and we just keep saying let's just try doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, the definition of an insanity, the classic definition of an insanity, Virginia football is never going to be relevant ever again. Um, you know, I'm I'm not you know, I'm in my fifties now. I want to see I want to see a Virginia football winning program sometime before I die in my seventies or eighties. I don't know that if the next couple of years play the way they are, that we'll ever see. I, I I see us going more back in reverse. We're almost undoing the we're completely undoing the George era. We're going back into the Bestwick and the Sonny Randall and previous coaches era, where we're just going to be this bad every year. 
because I don't, I, I don't know. I don't sense that there's anybody there who wants to see things get better. Well, I think that you're right in, in, <laughs> in some ways is that the problems with Virginia football, I believe, Chris, go deeper than the head coach. I think it's in the administration. Um, and I'm not sure if the current administration um, is capable of making those decisions that you have to let a coach go after a one and 11 season uh, based on based on the recruiting, based on the, 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 the confidence that the, that the alumni, the confidence that the donor base has. Uh, but I do believe that there are a lot of Virginia, smart Virginia alumni, both former football players and business people that realize uh, what's that there has to be a change made. And the, the folks that help put that $80 million football facility in place, that's going to be breaking ground next, uh, going to be opening, excuse me, opening next spring, I believe. Yes. Uh, they didn't donate that money to, to be, to have no hope. I, I, and I believe that if, if it's just money we're talking about or what it would take to buy out coach Elliott, um, I believe that will be found. And I believe that, that there's going to be people out there that realize the right coach can make this program significant again. And the right coach, I'm not talk, I'm talking about what Duke did at my, uh, what Duke did with Mike Elko, what, um, what Carolina did with Mike Brown. And, you know, go back a few years ago, Mike Brown wanted the Virginia job. Oh, back. Yeah. Well, he also, yeah. Yeah. Way back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and I believe that there's a smart enough UVA alumni out there that realize the potential that Virginia has, and it may not be playing in the college football playoffs, but getting to good bowl games, winning eight, nine games, being on national TV, being in the spotlight um, is there with the right coach. And I, for that reason, I, I don't think, I think your despair is warranted in some ways, but I don't think you have enough conf I don't think you have enough faith in your, in your, in your school to, to, to think they're going to continue to let this just rot on the vine because it's rotten on the vine. It's just a matter of when that fruit drops off to the ground. Uh, I, have, I have no faith because I've seen what they've done in the past. They let Pete Gillins stay as the men's basketball coach a few years too long. Uh, they let Mike London stay, uh, you know, at least at least two years, maybe three years too long. Uh, probably two two years is the fair way to put that. Uh, but Chris, was Gillen's program and even London's program hasn't, didn't, I don't think, reached to the depths of where this football program is. Right? Oh, no, Virginia, fo Virginia football was 2-10 in 2013, as I mentioned, and he got two more years after that. Pete Gillen went to one NCAA tournament in his nine years in Charlottesville. Um, and, and, you know, no, they didn't go, you know, have 20 long seasons or anything, but they were, but they were not competitive to the degree they needed to be. The only change it made in the last 20 years that was timed perfectly was the Dave Lato move in 2009. He was, he had been the ACC coach the year, two years prior in 2007. And, uh, after one losing season was, uh, let go. And of course we end up with Tony Bennett history is, is rewritten, but, uh, that was one lucky move and we ended up with the perfect guy. Uh, but other than that, 
Uh, well, and- what you said lucky, but again, was it luck or was it just the right people searching for the right head coach? But lucky in the sense that some, I mean, you know, it worked. it worked because, I mean, it, you know, it, but you had uh, Virginia win against their own type there when they said four years, we're, we're going to get rid of you, even though you've only had one bad season. That's not, you know, they didn't do the same thing to Pete Gillen. They gave Pete Gillen several years after his first bad season. Um, and and they got rid of Lato quick. And, and I say lucky because if they waited a year, Tony Bennett may not have been on the market anymore. That's that's the, the timing. It was perfect. It was it was serendipity. Um, you know, if, if Tony Bennett's not the guy, are we? Do I have this basketball behind me? Do we? Do I have this picture behind me? Or you know, do I have the the, the confetti that's somewhere behind me here uh, from the championship game uh, in 2019? Probably not. Obviously. Um, so uh, you know that you know you, you that that's why I call that luck because it's they 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 went against what they normally do. Um, I, I fully expect now I want to end this though on a positive note, because there are going to be people saying they haven't even played these six games, Chris and Scott, and, and you're already putting them at one and 11. Um, yes, we're looking at the schedule. We're looking at the win probabilities. Four of the games have win probabilities for the opponents of 87% or higher. Um, those games involve Duke, who we just talked about, who could very well be first place in the ACC after this weekend, if they upset uh, Florida state, which in our minds wouldn't, be out of the realm of possibility at all. Well, that's a good Duke team. Uh, certainly the Carolina game this weekend, Carolina's a team that uh, is undebeat, unbeaten in top 10 right now. Uh, they're going to, you know, they're a 23 and a half point favorite for a reason this weekend. Um, the other game was Louisville. At Louisville, uh, a team that's got one loss this season, uh, you know, an impressive win over a Notre Dame team. It's a really good Notre Dame team. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. So if Virginia is to win, even a couple of games here and go three and nine. All right. So let me, let me pose this to you, Scott. Okay. This schedule, we would just said, Oh, and six is likely in the last, second half of the season. If Virginia sneaks out a couple of wins here, goes three and nine. After that game in, with Virginia tech, uh, end of the season, Saturday after Thanksgiving, if Virginia's three and nine after that, what are your thoughts? If they're three and nine, I think that's a little different because that means there's two two wins in the last four games, and those two wins are going to come against even if they were against Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. I mean, Tech is in, Tech is improving. Virginia Tech is improving. Georgia Tech has kind of been up and down, but they they're trending up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that's a different story. I think three and nine might save Tony Elliott, uh, but in my opinion. Two and ten, one and eleven, that's not that's not going to save him. And you know, I do the power rankings. I've probably spent a lot more time than I should because I think <laughs> I like I like to do it. Yeah. And I watch all these teams. And if yeah. I don't see them in person, I go back on YouTube and kind of watch some highlights. You can go to YouTube and watch any of these team highlights. So I'm not saying I'm this great prognosticator, but. I've seen these six next six teams play, and it's there's a far greater chance that we lose all six than we, I believe, than we win two. Mm-hmm. That's, That's the way I look at it. I think there's a greater chance we lose, we we run the table and lose them all than win two out of four uh, out of six. I think that's fair. I mean, I think the Georgia Tech game is the one to circle. Um, because they've been up and down, they beat Miami, they lost to Bowling Green, so they're they've been up and down. Um, Virginia Tech, I think if it if they were wearing different uniforms and their name wasn't Virginia Tech, I mean, I think that's a team that Virginia could beat. 
at home. Um, but you know, that's that series has its own idiosyncrasies that, that, that Virginia just, you know, for whatever reason, in the last 10 years, uh, Virginia's won one of those games. And you can't tell me that in the last 10 years, Virginia Tech, there's been one or one or maybe two years that Virginia Tech has been markedly better than Virginia. I think one year they've been markedly better than Virginia. I think the other, uh, you know, other eight or nine of those years, they've been at least even. And I think Virginia has been better several of those years and they still have one win in that series. So, I, you know, so that one, I, you know, it's hard for me to say Virginia will win that game, but Louisville, you know, the loss to Pitt gets my attention, even though that was that Pitt and, you know, whatever trap game and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, Louisville's I mean, still very good. If you watch the Louisville Notre Dame game, that's yeah, yeah, still electric. I mean, I'm giving you the the two games that I think they have a shot in. Yeah. Um, the other, the other three, Carolina this weekend, Duke, and and uh, you, you know the Virginia Virginia Tech. I'll throw out. I mean Miami, my, you know Miami. You know, I mean they've been up and down, but they still have all the talent, and and they're not going to lose to Virginia this year in Miami. So. You know, there's chances, uh, and, but you know, yeah. If 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 I had to say, if you gave me the poll question, if the poll question was, is Virginia going to go zero and six or two and four? I'd probably vote zero and six. And I and I said this earlier. I think Virginia could play good football in all six of those games and still go zero and six because the teams they're going to play are better than them. And so, you know, if if you if we play B football, B minus, or even B or B plus football uh, against Miami Duke. Um, we're going to lose to those teams, uh, even if they play C football. I mean, you know, if 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 we don't play, you know, if if if, if we we're going to have to significantly outplay any of these teams to even have a chance to win, and so that's that's the that's the hard part here. That that's where the program is. That when when you're when when you when you can look ahead and say if we play good football, we're still going to lose a bunch of games. That's 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 saying a lot for because the offensive line has issues. There's issues on the defense. You know the the depth, all the injuries over there. I mean, you know that's it's this it's just too much to get into. So, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of with you there, Scott. Unfortunately, yeah, and you know you take if you break down every game that 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 last game against Tech, Tech could be playing to be bowl eligible. They could be, yeah, either and, bowl eligible and, or to and their fans. Their, their fans, as we know, they're legendary. They stick behind the program. They'll they'll have as many, if not more, fans in Scott Stadium, and we at, that that Virginia does, and we got three home games. And the home field advantage is minimal to to UVA. Oh, and that game, yeah. I mean, that game is like if if that game is either for a possible sixth win for Virginia Tech, or even a possible seventh win. So instead of playing just for a bowl game, you're playing for a better bowl game. Right. Uh, if you're Virginia Tech, you're you know, playing for a bowl game above the uh, below the Mason Dixon. Yeah, exactly. Maybe a, at least a, near the Mason Dixon line. Um, yeah, those fans will kind of do what JMU did in week two. Um, we'll have traffic jams coming from my side of uh, the 64 uh, and I'll have to leave a little earlier than I'd like to get there. But yeah, that's that. No, totally. That, that That's exactly right. The home field advantage goes away there for, for that game. So yeah. Okay. Well, I try, I wanted to try to end on a positive note because, you know, there are people who think I'll, all I do is trash, uh, you know, UVA football and it's not the case. Well, they can now add me to that list because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not looking at it as much as trashing it as just being realistic. Oh, and wow. if someone, if someone can present an argument then let them send an email to your mailbag and let's, let's, let's respond to that, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a great way to end. I like to do that before the, send me an email at, at Chris at Augusta free 
uh, if you have any comments about this particular podcast. Of course, also, if you see this, if you're watching this, you finish watching this on YouTube, comment there. I'll, be, I'll always get email notifications about that. But you can email me, uh, you know, uh, any, any way to communicate either about this, just in general about, you know, any of the columns that I write, Scott writes, I'll, I'll forward to Scott any anything you might want his to get it to his attention. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear from you as far as that goes. Uh, Scott, been fun, man. We've got to do this more often. Yes, uh, yes, we're looking forward to it. We got basketball coming up, so I'm sure we're gonna be we're gonna be uh doing this a lot more. A lot more often. That's correct. That's correct. Well, for our listeners on the podcast, for our viewers on the YouTube, thank you for your time and we wish everyone to have a great day.